we started on our Why Church sermon series, trying to pull in some information about, well, why are we here? Why, why do we even come here on a Saturday night? The first week we talked about the importance of worship and how when we come together and worship together, it's an indication to the world out there about our love for one another, the love that God's people have for one another. And it's a sign of our salvation. It's a sign of our eternal life when we come together to worship. And then we talked about the power of prayer. That when we come together and we pray as a body, we're speaking to God in one voice, one unified voice. There's power in that. Amen. But one of the other really cool things about coming together and praying as a body is it takes ourself out of the forefront. We start to recognize that, hey, our lives really are tied together. We are a body. And when one part of us is hurting, then the rest of us are hurting. And then we talk about serving and sharing together. Because 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, Paul talks about the church being the body of Christ and how every one of us has a part to play in that. 1 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 4, says it this way. There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it is the same God who does the work in all of us. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. If you've accepted Jesus as your Savior, you've been given a spiritual gift. But the gift isn't for you. It's for you to use so the body can fulfill its mission. That's why you've been given a gift. It's for God's glory. Tonight, we're going to look at discipleship. But I want to start by reading our Acts 2 verses again. So we're going to start Acts 2, verse 42. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. They began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all, as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. I just want to repeat one more time. This is not about a perfect church, because there's no such thing as a perfect church, because it's made up of imperfect people. So that's not even a possibility. What, what we're seeing here, what Luke is talking about, is the power of the Holy Spirit. When we're operating in the power of the Holy Spirit, this is what we see. And that's what we're talking about tonight. I want to call your attention to verse 47, that last verse that we just read. The Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. We don't see that too often today, do we? We see it across the globe. We see it in countries everywhere else, but not so much here. In fact, 
Worldwide, and since 1910, Christianity has tripled. The number of believers in the world since 1910 has tripled. Just in Asia, over the last 100 years, the population has grown at twice the rate of the population growth. In Africa, 100 years ago, the population of Christians was only 3%. It is now up to 40%. That's a 1,200% growth. Now, these places are, are growing astronomically. So what's going on? The God, the God that we know hasn't changed. The Word hasn't changed. The good news of Christ hasn't changed. So now we need to figure out what's, what's the difference here. So we need to go back to our early church and figure out what was taking place. What we just read. They were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, and to prayer, and to breaking of bread. They were selling everything they had and sharing it with everyone that had need. And they were praising God with sincere hearts. It says that they were doing exactly what Jesus had taught them to do. They were doing exactly what Jesus' last words were. Matthew 28, starting at verse 19, Jesus said, Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. That's exactly what they're doing. In one word, discipleship. See, discipleship isn't just one thing. It's not just prayer. It's not just fellowship. It's not just coming to church. It's not just Bible study. Discipleship includes all of those elements, and it, it requires all of those to take place. See, Jesus spent three years walking side by side with 12 men to teach them what it looked like to be his follower, what it meant to be his disciple. You know the word disciple is mentioned over 260 times in the New Testament? Maybe it's something we need to pay attention to. So let's think, what is a disciple? Let's see what scripture says about it. The word in Matthew 28, the Greek word there means learner. But it doesn't just mean teacher, student. It's not like that. It's not just, I'm going to teach you how to do 2 plus 2 equals 4. It's not like that. This type of learner was an ongoing, an ongoing thing that never stopped. It was about the student learning how to imitate the life of the teacher. It was about the values of the teacher becoming so instilled and so ingrained in the student that it became just natural to them. And then it was about the student being able to reproduce everything they just learned to pass it on to somebody else. And that's what a disciple is. Jesus says it best in Luke 6.40. He says, A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. See, Jesus shows us throughout the Gospels exactly what it means to be a disciple. He shows us the way to make disciples, and as we sometimes call it, discipleship. Because this is a book about disciples, by disciples, for disciples. That's the important part. 
So let's take a look at Jesus' plan to make disciples. So to understand what we're seeing in Acts 2, we actually have to go back to the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. So we're going to start in the fourth chapter of Matthew. Now here we are, it's the beginning of Jesus' ministry. John the Baptist has baptized him. Jesus has just come out of the wilderness of 40 days where Satan tempted him. He used the word of God to resist him. And now Jesus is starting his ministry. He's walking along the Sea of Galilee, and he sees two brothers. Simon, who we later know as Peter, and Andrew. They're fishermen, and they're casting their nets. And here we are at Matthew 4, 19. And Jesus says to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately drop their nets and follow him. Then he sees James and John. And Jesus says, Come. Again, they immediately stop what they are doing to follow him. See, Jesus picked his disciples. It wasn't based on who they were. It wasn't based on what they had done. He selected them based on what he knew they could be. Romans 8.29 says it this way. For God knew his people in advance. He chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. See, that's why God chose you and me. Because he saw what we could be. And that's what discipleship is all about. It's about helping one another become the person that God sees us to be. That's, that's why this is so important. Because we can't do it on our own. We need each other. We need the church body to encourage us, to cheer us on, to spur us on, to be the person that God wants us to be. So let's look at Jesus' words again. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me. The first step in discipleship is the acceptance of Jesus as Savior. Because when Jesus says to you, follow me, you have a choice to make. Do you accept his gift of grace? Do you accept his gift of mercy? Do you accept the gift of salvation? Because when we accept that gift, we move from death to life. But that's just the beginning. It's a first step. See, salvation is just the doorway that opens up what life in Christ is all about. See, when the apostles first met Jesus, what he was saying to them was, Come with me and die. This is how he, he says it in Mark 8, verse 34 and 35. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and the gospel will save it. See, the carrying of a cross doesn't really make a lot of sense to us. But back then, they knew exactly what it meant to carry a cross. Because that was execution. If they saw someone walking with a cross, they knew they had a life sentence. They were about to be executed. They were coming back. It was the end of their life. 
So they knew very well what Jesus was saying, carry your cross. That meant you are a new creation. You need to toss aside that old life because the new is here. Now Jesus is getting pretty popular. His miracles, he's feeding people. In his teaching, he's starting to attract some pretty large crowds at this point. But now he's going to raise the level of expectations for his disciples. Luke 14, starting in verse 25. A large crowd was following Jesus. He turned around and said to them, If you want to be my disciple, you must take everyone else by comparison. Your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. But don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there is enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money. And then everyone would laugh at you. They would say, there's the person who started that building and couldn't afford to finish it. Or what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counselors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat the 20,000 soldiers marching against him? And if he can't, he will send a delegation to discuss terms of peace while the enemy is still far away. So you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. He's raised the bar from here, up here. He's saying, if you want to be my disciple, I better be first. Your old life better be cast aside. You are a new creation. The things that used to be most important to you should now become less important. They should become second to your commitment to me. See, the gift of salvation is free. But every free gift costs somebody something. And our free gift of salvation costs Jesus everything. See, with the gift of salvation comes a transfer of ownership. When we become his, when we're bought with his blood, we can't belong to the world anymore. We belong to him. Let's use this illustration. Let's... Let's say Publishers Clearing House has come to knock on your door. And yeah. And so you have won the grand prize. The grand prize is a new home on the beach in Tahiti. And you get free flight there, you get a new car. It's a whole new world for you. Well, you can brag about your new life, you can dream about it, and you can hope for it, but until you actually pack up your bags and leave your current home, you're not really starting that new life, are you? Until you leave the old behind, you're never going to experience the new. Are we approaching Jesus the same way? We love the idea of heaven. We love the idea of eternal life. 
we love, that we can go to him with anything and he answers our prayers. But are we still continuing to live in our old life and not embracing the new? Listen to these three who Jesus said to follow me. Starting in uh, Luke 9, verse 57. As they were walking along, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. But Jesus replied, Foxes have dens to live in, and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to even lay his head. He said to another person, Come, follow me. The man agreed, but he said, Lord, first let me return home and bury my father. But Jesus told him, Let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Your duty is to go and preach about the kingdom of God. Another said, Yes, Lord, I will follow you, but first let me say goodbye to my family. But Jesus told him, Anyone who puts a hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. We need to ask ourselves if we've really counted the cost of being his disciple. Are we truly his disciple, or are we just satisfied with taking his gift of salvation just to get our ticket to heaven? Because as a disciple, Jesus has to be at the center of everything we do. He's the reason we get up in the morning. He's the last thing we think about before we fall asleep. And he fills everything else in between. Because if we don't make him our priority, if we don't make him authority over everything, even our very lives, we'll never get to the next step of discipleship. So let's go back to that verse in Matthew where Jesus is talking to Simon and Andrew. Come, follow me, he says, and I will make you fishers of men. See, it's Jesus who's doing the transforming. Through our obedience, through Jesus' lordship over our lives, he's the one transforming us, but only if we allow him to. If your relationship with Christ is based on anything else other than him being your all in all, him being your treasure, your joy, your hope, your Lord and your master, then three things are going to happen. He can't make you into his image. Because if you're not following him, you're still looking back to your old life, following your own path. And if you're not giving him lordship over your life, then you're not making Christ look very good to the world out there. Because if he's not worthy of your devotion and your commitment, then why would anyone out there want to follow him? Your witness to the world is lost. And the third thing, you can't make disciples if you aren't one first. See, we like to think that the disciples in Scripture are kind of the super Christians. They're, they're the superheroes, you know, they're some elite force that's doing great things for God. The reality is that they're the basic example of what we're supposed to be. Discipleship is all about us becoming more like Christ together. It's about becoming passionate about helping others become disciples too. That's why being a part of this body is so important. It's why being an active part of a local church just matters so much. 
See, the believers in the early church that we've been reading about, they were intentional and they were purposeful. Unlike the parable that we read a couple weeks ago about the wedding guests who made excuses. The early church was excited. They were accepting that invitation from Jesus, that come and follow me and say, yes, here I am. I am ready. I am all in. See, what we keep seeing in this early church is the fruits of discipleship. When we're making disciples, that's when God is adding day by day those who are being saved. They were making Jesus the subject of their lives. They were making him the number one priority in all things. And so the rest of the unbelieving community took notice. With their God-centered worship, with their authentic and real relationships that they were building with one another, they became a body that was just pouring into the community. They were overflowing with God's love and caring for others. It was contagious for them. And people were just drawn to it. See, discipleship is really the culmination of the Great Commission and the Great Commandment. Because if you don't love others, you don't really care about sharing the gospel with them. And if you love others, you can't wait to share Christ with them and show them what a life in Christ is all about. Discipleship is really the fulfillment of these two commandments. Love one another make disciples. Listen to this quote that David Platt uh, said on the pivotal role of the church in the job of making disciples. When it comes to talking about making disciples, it's not about individual followers of Jesus on their own, lone rangers making disciples. It's about being a part of a body and together making disciples. Those unbelievers need to see evidence of community around Christ. They need to see the love of Christ in action. They need to see the mercy of Christ in action. The church needs to become a picture that, especially for hardened hearts of unbelievers, softens their hearts towards the goodness of Christ in the community. We don't just walk in isolation. We walk in love and service to one another. We're teaching the word to each other, and the word is spreading through each other. All of that has to happen in the context of relationships with other people. And so disciple-making is intricately tied to commitment to a church. See, when you make disciples, we actually get church. We're building the church when we're making disciples. That was Jesus' whole plan. That's what he modeled for us. But when we just focus on building the church, we get neither. If we focus on, oh, let's just go tell them about Jesus so we get them saved. And then we stop there. Are they any better? They're still living their own life. We need to make disciples. We need to show people what a life in Christ is all about. And we can't do that if we're not doing it ourselves. See, Jesus... He preached a lot. He preached to the disciples. He preached to the large crowds. But he didn't talk about just making converts. He talked about what it meant to be his follower. He talked about what it meant to be a 
disciple. See, we need to remember that Jesus didn't come just to get us to heaven. He came to restore our relationship with the Father. Heaven is a benefit, but it was not his purpose. The key to growing our church is for us to grow in Christ. But we need to ask ourselves some tough questions. Is Jesus my top priority? Am I giving him every dark corner of my life? Is my life centered around Jesus? Or is it centered around me and my desires, my wants, my plans? If we're going to make a difference in the community, if we're going to love in a way that matters, it starts here and it starts here. When Jesus says to us, come, follow me, what is your response? When he says, let me make you fishers of men, are you going to let him make you a fisher of men? Are we, as a body, going to allow him to transform us to become fishers of men? Thank you.